It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Hit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. And I'm Dave Selecki. This week on Pit Pass, we're going to be speaking with Richard Warsham of Janus Motors. Looking forward to it. Pit Pass Moto is sponsored by Moto America. Upcoming races in Moto America. We've got Road Atlanta next week, as well as Pittsburgh International coming up on the weekend of August 7 through 9. Get out to the races. Moto America does a beautiful job putting on a show and really making the family feel welcome, Dave. They've, they've got stuff throughout the pits to really get fans engaged with their riders and the, the whole performance that is motorcycle racing. Absolutely. And you go to their website and just check the content. It is loaded with interviews and tech talk and just, uh, I, you know, they really is the best site in the world for that. And they've got every little bit and every little story about the racing. And the riders, Moto America Live Plus, if you're unable to get out to the racetrack and witness it live firsthand, the next best thing is Moto America Live Plus, their app. I've got it on my phone. And if I can't be at that race, I'm for sure watching qualifying. I'm watching warm-ups. They have the entire day blanketed with cameras, and you get to watch all of it. So it's absolutely wonderful place to see the action if you can't be there live. Pittsburgh coming up, man. That's in my backyard. Going to have to go check it out. That's in two weeks. Yeah, they've had some great racing this year. Dave, you're going to love it. I hope you enjoy your time out there. Of course, you can check for local listings on MotoAmerica.com. They do have a fair presence on the TV. They've really made strides in that area. They're on FS1. They're on Mav TV. They're on FS2. Definitely go to MotoAmerica.com. You'll get the latest updates on where and when you can watch racing on TV. In this past weekend's racing news, we had MotoGP from Jerez, Jerez 2, much like Moto America did two rounds at Wisconsin at Road America to start their season. The MotoGP folks have done two races in Jerez, so they labeled them Jerez 1 and Jerez 2. It doesn't matter which race you're talking about. One Fabio Quartararo did the double. He won both of them and has a commanding lead in the points over Maverick Vinales, the Yamaha Monster Energy rider teammate to one Valentino Rossi who finished out the podium this past weekend right behind his teammate Maverick there was some incredibly good racing sadly 
a fair bit of drama, quite a few offs. Maverick Vinales really shone through the entire race, but Cordero just got away and could not be handled by anyone. Of course, the the sideline news was Mark Marquez broke his arm at the previous Jerez, and he went ahead and tried to race this weekend. The turnaround time on human body repairs has come down to essentially nothing, Dave. There were three guys injured at that last Jerez race on July the 19th. All three of them, surgery, July 21. All three of them seriously contemplated and or did race, including Cal Crutchlow, pins in his wrist on the 21st, raced yesterday. Amazing. These guys are superhuman, and it's because... Quite honestly, they're racers. They they never want to do anything but race. There's a heightened sense of urgency right now because this MotoGP season, much like every other sporting series, has been shortened, sweetened, and condensed. There are less races in less time, and the best guys, they aren't giving away points if they don't have to. No, they, and they don't want to. They don't want to. I saw a photo of Marquez's arm, and it looked grisly. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And he's like, yeah, give me the fastest motorcycle in the world. I'm going to go show you how it's done. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, It's not the like he's jumping of, on a moped, you know? It, or a mini bike or anything yeah. less than the most terrifyingly fast thing that man has so far invented for another man to ride on. He jumps on the fastest one and says, I'm going to do it. Broken armor, no. What is the horsepower rating on a MotoGP bike these days? I know Yamaha's got it well figured out, but it's got to be 220. 250. You're, you're okay. in the 250 zone. Okay. And that is loosely defined because no one's actually honest. It's racing, let's be honest. Sure, and these are sure. prototypes. So they're not really telling you. But they loosely throw around 250. They, I mean, they have more horsepower than can reasonably utilize, be utilized. They're, they're now very high-tech computers. That's what a MotoGP bike is. It's a very high-tech computer that gives you the maximum amount of horsepower that can possibly be transmitted through a tire to the ground. The computer is dialing that in, and the rider is doing a lot of artwork himself, but they've they've got more horsepower than they can use. They can't keep the front ends on the ground in top gear. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see them, they whack the throttle literally wide open and the bike takes care of the rest. And that's simplifying what they do, but amazing horsepower. And just the fact that it seems like Yamaha just seems to have things dialed this year. I was excited to see Rossi on the podium and I think so were the fans. He was probably coming unglued. He's a great story. It really is. Yamaha swept the podium this weekend. It is not uh, lost on me or anyone at Yamaha, I'm sure, but Fabio Cortoraro is on their satellite team, and he has twice now come out on top of the podium. In days of old, this situation would happen in road racing as it it occasionally does in the off-road world too. When an upstart on a satellite team, not the factory big boy, ends up in front, people start noticing and they start talking about what equipment should we or should we not be giving to our satellite teams because they're making us look a little silly. Uh, what do you think? Is that going to be happening again? It could. And then there's also that invitation to the big leagues, right? So it could go that way also where they get that tap on the shoulder and they get welcome to the big rig and then they get the premium equipment. So it's a good way to fed out your talent. It really is, and I think most certainly days in Rossi's career, when he got equipment that other riders said, he's the only guy who gets that. 
This isn't even a fair race. I remember those complaints being registered before, before we were a spec tire series when tires were an option. Valentino Rossi got special, hand-cooked, made them last night. They're still warm-to-the-touch tires flown in to most races if they were required. And not every rider got that opportunity. I think those days are gone now. I think Yamaha would be wise, and I'm sure they are, to say that's our brand on the podium. We can still market it. Go ahead. Good on you. Keep flying. Yeah, they will. And they're, they're just, they're really a great road race team, no doubt about it. And those teams watch each other closely, as we learned early on in the season with Ducati and the Wings. And they got the stink eye from all the other teams, and a lot of protests were filed. And they were determined legal after that. But they're all watching things pretty close. As we all know, some of the best, uh, I don't want to use the word cheating, but uh, let's uh, say something the creative engineering happens in the garage. The creative uh, interpretation of the rule book, if you would. Interpretation is what uh, I think uh, one smoky eunuch would use, or there were a number of racers who used had that euphemism in their bag. Uh, it's an interpretation of the rules is what we call it. Absolutely. Smokey Eunuch, he was the one who uh, came up with wrist pin offset in small block Chevys as a way to gain an advantage on rod angle to improve horsepower off the corner. And it became lore after that. And then once he uh, determined it had to be there, everybody followed. So you got that one guy who just comes up with the idea and they all follow along. Yep. And to your point, Ducati has in most recent history, been the ones who've tested every page of the rule book. They continue to test it. They've had aerodynamic aids. They were the first ones to come out with them on the fronts of their motorcycle. And then they were immediately spotted a couple years back with rear tire aerodynamic aids that they rightfully claimed were essentially splash guards. It's a fender, keeps the water off our tires. And it was clearly an aerodynamic device shielding the rear tire because they're going over 200 miles an hour. Every little bit helps. I think that's what's cool about MotoGP. It is our Formula One, and it's that series that can test the boundaries of both engineering and rider and bike capability and push it to the what they call the bleeding edge, right? Not the leading edge, but the bleeding edge of the knife. And uh, Ducati brings it every year, and I'm, I'm glad for it. I think it pushes the sport, and it pushes the vehicle technology higher and higher every year. Without it, we wouldn't have traction control and some of the things that we have and we kind of take for granted today. Couldn't be more true. I, my showroom where I work, we sell multiple lines of motorcycles. It's hard to find one that's got a license plate that doesn't have ABS, including the littlest, least expensive, made for a beginner bike where really ABS makes all the sense in the world. Racing and and the R&D that goes with racing led to those developments coming to every motorcycle in a showroom. It's, it's an impressive direct line between development and racing, and now you get to own this stuff. Absolutely, and we're all better for it. Hopefully better riders at the end of the day. Support for Pit Pass comes from Lord Jones, makers of the world's finest CBD products. CBD is all the rage these days, but pioneering brand Lord Jones is considered the gold standard. For years, they've been changing people's lives with their premium CBD products. 
From world-class skincare to tinctures and gel capsules to decadent gumdrop confections. If you're curious about what CBD can do for you, trust me, you want to start with the best. Lord Jones is crafted with the highest quality ingredients and premium hemp-derived CBD that's lab-tested for purity, strength, and consistency. In fact, Lord Jones has been featured in the New York Times, People, Vogue, Vanity Fair, and more, and now they're inviting you to experience the finest CBD products available. Go to lordjones.com slash pitpass to get 25% off your first order. Go to lordjones.com slash pitpass for 25% off your first order. lordjones.com slash pitpass. This week's Pit Pass trivia question is, what was the first production motorcycle in the U.S.? More on that later on in the show. Welcome to Pit Pass today, Richard Warsham from Janus Motorcycle Company. Thank you for joining us again, Richard. How are things going? Oh, going well. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Uh, I work in the motorcycle industry in the capacity of a dealership. I work at a multi-line dealership, and I can speak from my perspective. Sales have been off the hook. How has life at Janus been post-COVID development? Are, are your sales above average, flat, below average? Where are you guys at? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have been able to uh, predict it. That trend that you're, you you mentioned is definitely the case here. Uh, we are definitely, sales are, are very, very strong. Just uh, over the weekend, we sold four bikes. We had our annual owner's rally, which is uh, something we can talk about a little more, but it was just because that, that also was affected by the uh, virus. We, we were forced to step away from doing an in-person event and did it virtually. To get back to what you were saying, the sales have... Uh, kind of exploded and uh, it's really a matter of keeping up with production at this point. Absolutely. And that's where the problems, if it can be described as a problem, lies for my dealership. And now I'm aware dealerships across the country and for that matter, around the world, we are legitimately sold out of product. I wish I could get a jet ski unrelated to the motorcycle world, but certainly in power sports. Similarly, Mm -hmm. we can't get anything for a child or any of the lightweight machines, and that is specifically what you make. So once we ran out of existing inventory of actual machines, what I'm now finding as the service manager, and I'm repairing them, a lot of product is uh, parts, for that matter, are difficult to get. Are Mm -hmm. you finding supplies to be an issue for you as well? It certainly is a problem to, you know, when your production is slowed down, you can't meet demand. It raises all sorts of problems, but to address what you were saying there, you know, the, the, the supply chain is what has been, well, I'll, I'll break it into two areas. You know, one was that we had a government shutdown in um, the spring, more toward the beginning of the, of the virus outbreak. And we were down, we were shut down for six weeks. So right there, that delayed, it is still affecting um, the delivery of bikes. Our typical lead time we want to be at is four to six weeks. And we saw it double. We've whittled it down quite a bit since then, but that's a problem for lots of companies. I'm sure it's it's going to have untold repercussions at this point. But our supply chain, I think some of the overseas stuff that we get took a hit early on. That's kind of when we started taking notice of the of the virus was in 
January and February, we started getting some of the parts we get from Asia were completely held up. We didn't, we couldn't even get a hold of people because they were shut down at that point. Now it's more moved into just shipping something is very much more expensive than it used to be. And some suppliers stateside aren't even buying right now because they, it's too expensive to bring in a container. So we're kind of running into that. We just had a, a great illustration. Thankfully, they're on their way now from LA, but our shock absorbers, we sourced from Australia, Icon Suspension. Every point at which they could have been held up in their transit from the other side of the world to us, they were held up. <laughs> so uh, we've kind of been navigating that and it's had a little bit of an effect, but we've kind of bulked up our purchasing to try and overcome that. So that's kind of a really technical response, but uh, it is, it's a challenge and it's a problem. But uh, if, we, if you try and plan ahead a little bit, it has been navigable for us. Understandable. Uh, clearly, one of your regions of largest supply, your, your power plants are coming from India still, correct? They're coming from China. China, so, okay. Uh, even more. Even more the early on. Yeah, and that, was, that really was a, uh, they were affected earlier in the whole process. But now that they are um, kind of back online, we really aren't having a whole lot of issues with that. It's just that the shipping is more expensive. Yeah, and as their manufacturing has come back online, I think this this problem will slowly resolve itself, but it it definitely cr- continues to creep up in unexpected ways. And like you said, it's just I would have never at the onset of this imagined that uh, demand would go in the direction that has gone yeah. across the board. I really thought people are losing their jobs. They're not, you know, that's clearly happening throughout every sector of our society people are losing their jobs i know people who've lost jobs and i can't just would have never guessed people would then next move open wallet please give me everything you have i need a toy to get through this is what it seems is happening (laughs) well partly that's part of it and and, and maybe that one i have a hard time explaining but then the other half of it is public transportation is taking a huge hit Everybody wants to have their own means of transportation on the one hand, and then they also want to be out in the open air. And so I think uh, bicycles, the bicycle dealers, they can't keep anything in stock. No, they've got Same nothing. Same thing with the power sports. Yep. Same thing with the power sports industry. So I think people want to be out. They want their, they want an easy way to get to work. I've seen a lot of articles you know, on like RevZilla or other motorcycle platforms you know, saying, is this going to convert people, more people to, to two-wheel travel? I don't know, but I certainly, there are a lot of bikes being bought <laughs> and I, I think it's great. It's awesome. It, I'm a multi-line dealer, so we sell all parts of the power sports industry, ATVs, UTVs, which until now had been absolutely leading the power sports market. They are yeah. what the, any dealer you talk to of any size will tell you they're what keeps the doors open and the lights on. Two wheels has not been the primary sale for quite some time and it's really all we have in our dealership and it is vanishing at an alarming rate we are not getting resupplied sadly so i notice wow we've sold all those two-wheelers and it's it's great to see i'm a hopeful individual that the first things that sold out were kids mini bikes and kids atvs so we're can we're gonna have some new converts out there for the foreseeable future which has to help guys has to help guys like you guys in your position you know you need two wheel customers in the future they've all got mini bikes right now i assure you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. everybody does harley davidson especially everybody needs it young blood (laughs) yep it's and so on to that end uh 
I would imagine this has been, a, if you will, a boon for your company, a custom manufacturer of very niche motorcycles, one would argue, wonderful bikes. This bodes well for your future. Are you guys looking in any, in any way at your next move because of the insurge, uh, the resurgence of two-wheeled motorsports? Um, yeah, I mean, mostly it comes down to scale and production. Right now, you know, we've, we've gone from, I don't know the exact numbers, honestly, but like three years ago, I don't think we had even half of our current employee numbers really in the last three years that we've started to deliver in, in the quantities, which by the industry standards are still minuscule. But um, every, you know, 160, 200 last year, this year we're shooting for 250. We basically average about a 40% growth every year. We're kind of focusing on kind of every year, every month refining the product our kind of message with these bikes and the niche that you were mentioning earlier, you know, which certainly we are a niche you know, brand, but it's a niche that there's a need for, which is this kind of like lightweight, easy to manage, relatively affordable. I mean, our bikes are certainly on the high end for a 250, but for a motorcycle, they're on the low end of a, of, of a bike. And that, that kind of formula, that, that concoction, that brew of, uh, of ingredients seems like it's really fitting a strong need people you know we have on the one hand people that never saw themselves riding motorcycles that are interested and then on the other hand we have riders that are tired of lugging their big harley davidson out for a short ride or for the kind of things that our bikes are good at so lots of our riders are x or not x but they're they're people that have ridden many different types of bikes and are looking for something that's lighter and maybe more similar to that trail 90 they had growing up funny you mentioned that because i'm sitting here in my garage studio looking at my latest motorcycle and it is a beautiful blue and white honda monkey and uh-huh. it and i've been riding my entire life i race motorcycles really fast ones at times and this is the most fun i've had on a motorcycle in forever <laughs> my little brother flew in from out of town and he rode it nonstop the entire weekend around my hometown des moines <laughs> And he said, I haven't had a motorcycle in a few years. That is the most fun. And I tell you, it's, it made me, since I've picked this thing up, it's made me think of your bikes. I'm like, it would be nice to have that next extra bit of power, but I mm-hmm. don't want more complicated. I don't want bigger, heavier. And you're absolutely right. I, I think that the market segment has been underserved that wants these machines and your numbers are bearing that out, right? I mean, it's quite honestly is proof that and, and, and if you look if you look at the, the industry i mean every all the big players or most of them at least are coming out with smaller bikes bmw kawasaki i mean all everybody's got the they're, they're started and then they're usually maybe they're maybe they're going overseas maybe for the power plant sort of like us because they want to keep it affordable but they're there's they're coming out with like the you know the versus 300 or the whatever the small BMW 300 they're coming yep, out with. The G310 or whatever. Yeah, I forget what the model is. But really, even even in the last starting 10, when we started the company, we started seeing that happening. And now it's kind of like, it's accelerating. And then the move to electric is also kind of a, there's more people interested in, in um, two-wheeled motorized vehicles um, than ever before. It's definitely uh, something that we're kind of, glad we're here right now (laughs) yeah i would i would think you've really hit the sweet spot of the market and so refresh my memory on your bikes technically speaking they they are fuel injected or is it a carbureted platform no 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 they're very very traditional so it's a carbureted 30 millimeter lokean 
carburetor. They meet EPA and California ARB, which was kind of a feat with a carburetor. They have a little catalyst in the exhaust, but uh, it's nothing, you know, doesn't doesn't obstruct uh, performance. Everything else is just like, it's basically as simple as that CB you had in 1972. Um, <laughs> there, There's no complicated bits. Everything's easy to work on. And so we have a lot of people that the percentage of people that do the work on their own bike is much higher than you would find with a BMW owner group or another type of rider because they're just easy to work on. That doesn't mean that we don't have plenty of people that take their bike to the shop, but it's just nice to know that you could do the work. And we constantly get that that uh, from customers like, man, I just think it's so cool that I don't have to have an electrical degree to, you know, figure out, you know, that I need to, you know, do that. Change a light bulb. Change a light bulb. Yeah. The basics yeah. for of motorcycle ownership that are kind of <laughs> lost on uh, a lot Absolutely. of modern society. Your bike encourages uh, that part of the ownership experience yeah. and it, it we all veteran riders as well as clearly your new riders find that it's part of the joy of ownership is understanding the machine knowing how to work on it in some basic capacity not being afraid to change your own oil in my mind it's it's something that just goes without saying but for a lot of people it's part of life they never got to experience yeah, well, I think that's really, it's actually, that's, that's, the, that's the third part of the equation that a lot of these manufacturers are, oh, I won't call them out for it, but I mean, maybe we're forgetting, which is that motorcycles, at least in the U.S., probably the developed West, are not practical vehicles. For the most part, they're not. They are a toy. And if you're going to do that, a lot of people are interested in doing something that is more than just a practical way of getting from A to B. The whole reason they got this is they want something they can connect with, that they can talk, talk to people at the gas station. They want people to notice it. And that's what our bikes do so well. And that's where that weird kind of combination of we're kind of on the cutting edge of small displacement, direct to consumer, kind of like we're, we have parallels oddly with Tesla in that sense. But on the other hand, we're kind of going back to this forgotten understanding of uh, rider owner's relationship with the actual machine that they're using. Because like a car today, like there's almost no emotional connection with the average car. Whereas on, a, on some, some older vehicles, they were just, there was, they were funky. You could work on them. You know, they had that kind of visceral connection with the road and what it means to be traveling. And if you're making a bike, why would you not? Focus yeah. on that. Yes. You know? Like, why would you not bring that to be front and center? Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance as penned by Absolutely. Robert M. Persig. There, Persig there, is, yep. there is joy beyond simply owning the motorcycle. It's mm-hmm. the beauty of looking at it, working on it, touching it, interacting with it. And some of the greatest, and I'm not one of them, some of the greatest, like Peter Jennings, I mean, guys like mm-hmm. him who really illustrate the, the joy of the whole thing. Not just how fast it goes or how yeah, any yeah. one thing about it. It's it's all of it in its totality that really makes the motor, motorcycle enjoyable. And the community around it. Devin and I, when we founded Janice, we we did so because we had found, founded a club based around small displacement bikes. And it was that experience of doing it with other people, wrenching, chit-chatting stories that's why we got fascinated we, we didn't even ride motorcycle we were a more kind of scooter moped small displacement bike focused and that's what got us into it and so we kind of always keep that first and foremost in our mind and that's why we have an owner's rally every year and why we have we're really trying focusing on the community 
around these bikes because you know from a that's you know that's like kind of poetic side of it but from the practical you know business side of it if you've sold let's say we've sold 600 so bikes at this point you know you kind of you have an audience that already you've already sold them and so those are the people you want to focus on if they want they they want an upgrade or they want a t-shirt or they want a jacket or whatever you know like building that and, and and creating a community is a great it's not only good for for the consumer and for the community that they have but it's good for the company too absolutely so, um, branding we really are focusing on that branding yeah you're you're talking about brand my the owner of my dealership has been absolutely driven on branding since i started and and i've watched the the dividends of that the fruition mm-hmm. of that dream paying being mindful of your brand you guys are again you you said it very well you you've hit an underserved segment that clearly is out there and and your brand continues to build and your your numbers continue to grow and i don't see how they won't continue to do so and and you've filled a void that again my, i love my monkey it's one step bigger is worthwhile so i'm going to have to look at your motorcycles cuz my wife <laughs> is my wife is now want, is retaking the motorcycle safety course and going to relicense herself for many of the same reasons she forgot how much mm-hmm. fun they were and my monkey has reminded her she's like wow that is really well, a lot of fun a very similar story friend here in town he just got one and his his wife is riding it more than he is now and now he's like well maybe we need to get a janice because we're really enjoying this <laughs> yeah and it's a one person <laughs> so it's deal. a common story yeah it really is and and then i have friends in the from outside the motorcycle world who are now dipping their toe in and they started with the monkey and one guy I've directed to you and he's like, that's beautiful. But he's already bought himself the next higher up. He's into the, the Royal Enfield, you know, the, the, Oh yeah. You know, and that bike seems to tick a lot of the same boxes that I think you guys do. And it's just, it's good for everyone that there are options that are on the simplistic, absolutely simplistic side. And then they, they feed each other. It used to only be vintage BMWs, which is the world I come from. But a lot of these buttons are vintage BMW territory. And those guys, also like new stuff that isn't worn out and that mm-hmm. old. How are you finding, uh, interesting, uh, I keep thinking of, you guys have been around long enough. Your bikes are starting to rack up miles. How is the long-term life for your owners uh, playing out You know, at your annual events and stuff? I'm sure you get real-time feedback. Yeah, no, uh, we've had... We've had some some isolated like you know you have, you have like an issue with a wiring harness chasing in one spot and you have to address that or little but it's mostly been stuff like that like some part that has an issue with it or one batch of parts you get in has an issue with it and you address that but there's really been no major issues we have customers we're starting to get a lot of customers over the ten thousand mile mark and they're just purring right along I, the bike i rode cross country and i've done some saddle sore 1000s up uh, new orleans and back around lake michigan and that bike is just it's still if i go take a bike out that's the one i want to ride because it's the smoothest it's got the most power they just can't kind of seem to build and become mature really well so we'll see i think we have one customer in the eighteen thousand mile range he's been up to prudhoe bay on his <laughs> that is stuff. a long ways on a single <laughs> on any single doesn't matter what brand and that's a, a long tail. ways yeah. Oh my on gosh. <laughs> Which means he's done the Alcan and that's insane on a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I, you know, time will tell uh, if we have any, you know, high mileage issues, but so far, man, and they're so easy to work on. Like there's not a whole lot to go wrong. No. So 
it's good for us because you know you know our 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 warranty program it just doesn't we don't we don't we're not spending a fortune on warranty stuff because there's just it's usually like you know oh I my clutch lever is bent or whatever you know I need another turn indicator light bulb or yeah <laughs> little, so that speaks like well that. speaks well to the yeah, engineering so when you don't have a lot of warranties which again I'm a multi line dealer. I know what warranty issues are and which companies deal with them the best, which ones tend to have the most problems. And it all comes yeah. down to engineering. If you rush to the market, you end up with a lot of recall and warranty issues. If you spend a little extra time in the engineering phase, you don't have these problems. So kudos to you and your company for doing so well, Richard. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Anybody you want to give a shout out to uh, before we say goodbye to this episode of Pit Pass? <laughs> no, I'm just happy to be able to be on here. And if you if you'd like to learn more, visit our website. I think we're going to be actually. I should announce we have we'll have a new website out soon with a new configurator, which will allow you to kind of see more of what the bike will come out looking like. So we're really excited to launch that. So if you're curious to know more about Janice, look us up JaniceMotorcycles.com. Give us a call, send us an email. We'll uh, look forward to answering your questions. Well, thank you again, Richard, for joining us. It's a wonderful company you've put together. Your product is amazing, and we look forward to seeing what happens with it in the future. Thanks again. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you, Richard, for joining us on Pit Pass. Dave, how about that trivia question? Oh, yeah, for sure. This week's Pit Pass trivia question is, what was the first production motorcycle in the U.S.? Go back to a long time ago. The answer is the Orient Aster. It was built by a gentleman named Charles Metz in 1898 at his factory in Waltham, Massachusetts. As you can imagine, it was a bicycle frame, pretty much, with a, uh, with a small motorcycle engine in it. Two and a half whopping horsepower. Wow. That is, yeah. We would call that not even a mini bike or a moped today. Even yeah. uh, even mopeds have significantly more power than that. At least double that. Now sit down, because here's the uh, MSRP in 1898. A whopping $250. And you walked away with a brand new Orient Aster. Belt-driven, suspended seat. They had a suicide shift type of variable drive on the belt drive, kind of like a CVT where you could just move it in and out. And that's how you made it go faster, which probably to you and I wasn't very fast. I could imagine jogging much faster than one of these, but uh, that's how it all began. I mean, honestly, uh, you know, a lot of people want to think the other major brands in the U.S. were the, were the pioneers. They're the ones who, who really took it uh, and made it bigger after that. But uh, this gentleman, Charles Metz, kind of planted the seed for everybody, I think. Yeah. And I think there was, if my memory and history are correct, there was some involvement by one Daimler, the Daimler company, which famously later became Mercedes-Benz. I think they were did some pioneering work in those very, very early moments of motorcycling. Well, think about it back then. You know, they had these guys that had discovered engines, made engines run on real crude version of gasoline back then. Then they started to look for things to put it into to, to create locomotion, basically. A bicycle just seemed like a natural thing to do, and a lot of the early vehicles were. And then, obviously, uh, buggies and carts became motorized, and, be, you know, that became automobiles eventually. But uh, it was, where do I put this engine so I can make things go? And I can imagine by the time they built vehicle number two, 
I imagine a race broke out, more than likely. <laughs> For sure it did in the parking lot, if nothing else. At least if I was involved. That's just how we're hardwired, right, PJ? Absolutely. You can't have two of them without staring one another down and saying, <laughs> I think it's my day, not your day. Absolutely. And I'm going to win and you're going to lose. So you get the three questions, too, if you pulled into the fuel station and they would have said, do you race? Where do you race <laughs> yep. and how fast does it go? We're right back to one of our former trivia questions. That's right. In upcoming road racing news, Moto America is taking their circus to Road Atlanta this coming weekend. Race dates are 731 through 8-3, I believe. 7, 731 through 8-2-8-3. Get out to Road Atlanta if you're anywhere near it. It is going to be one heck of a race. We have got a season on boil right now. What, do we, what else we got going on in the racing world, Dave? Well, I think we finally have gelled a, uh, an outdoor motocross schedule. They've committed to a nine-race schedule that begins August 15th at Loretta Lynn's, the ranch, which is interesting because that's where a lot of racers started their careers, and they're going back there for a, for a pro national now. Followed with Washougal and Ironman, and then two events at Redbud, an event at Spring Creek, down to the WW Ranch in Jacksonville, Florida, back up to Thunder Valley, Colorado, and then Fox Raceway in Pala, California for the final. So it'll be interesting, I think, as things develop. Hopefully that schedule gets fulfilled. I think it's still touch and go. I, I know they have commitments for the events, but, you know, we've seen this before. They put out a schedule and then it gets postponed, and I'm just hopeful that it happens. I think uh, it'll be great. Even if it's a brief series, it'll be better than no racing. Is there any talk about fans, involvement of fans, or is it, has that been decided, or is it a question yet to be answered? I think for the opening round, it is fan-friendly. It's in Tennessee. That may be one of those game-time decisions. I know road racing has done a very good job and set a great example. Let's hope MX Sports follows and sees, you know, kind of what they've done there with Moto America. Just an outstanding series. They've gotten the fans back, and the coverage is stellar. I think they've set a, an example for everybody to follow as far as bringing a motorsport back to the public so that they could see it live. And let's hope so. I know I would. I certainly want to go to Ironman and see that event, which is in August 29th. Hopefully that'll happen. We're going to have to kind of wait and see. Well, we look forward to doing it. But that'll be exciting. We've got some, uh, some racers switching classes. You've got your defending champ, Eli Tomac, going at it with Roxon and Marvin Muskan coming back from, uh, you know, surgery. So you've got Chase Sexton moving to the 450 class. you got Adam Ciancerillo going to the 450 class. So it's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to that. And then we've also got MXGP is starting to pick up again. August 8th and 9th, they'll be going to Latvia. Basically, the return to the series. They got two rounds in early on in the year before COVID hit. And that was back in February and early March. And now they're going back at it in August. And they've actually got quite a lengthy schedule that's going to go all the way into November. So hopefully we'll see some MXGP along with some outdoor motocross coming up. Really looking forward to it. Need to see some dirt bikes racing again. I hope everybody else gets to see it too. Yeah, looking forward to it. AFT's next race uh, is a ways out there. 32 days out. They're announced they've got one uh, currently called TBA1. Going to be in the Northeast U.S., Friday, August 28th is their current schedule, and we hope they're able to firm up some dates and times. It's going to be a doubleheader wherever that happens. Let's hope so. Love to see some flat track, man. That is an exciting series. If you uh, 
If you love old school motorcycle racing, this is where in our country, AFT is really where it began. Board track racing and flat track racing. So it'll be cool to see. Thank you again to Richard Warsham of Janus Motorcycles for joining us, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. If you have a moment, please rate and review us as well. We really appreciate it. It lets us know we're talking about what you want to hear about. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and, of course, pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our all-new blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm PJ. And I'm Dave. We'll see you next week. Keep the sunny side up. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.